Welcome into the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Monday. I'm James Erpine. It is great to be with you on Twitter at James Erpine at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcasts, including LockedOnBengals.com. Hopefully, you had a great weekend. We have a lot to get to today, including Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. In like 20 seconds, a quick reminder. If you want to subscribe to The Athletic, the best way to do it is to get 40% off. I like discounts. You probably do, too. Go to theathletic.com slash LockedOnBengals, and you can read Joe Goodberry. You can read Jay Morrison. You can read Mo Egger. You can read all of The Athletic's uh, local writers and their national guys and their NBA guys and their Major League Baseball guys. And uh, to talk more about the Bengals is Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. He does this every week. It's our weekly Bengals film review and Joe's on with us now. Joe, I appreciate the time, man. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I think we all are, right? Uh, for the most part, yes. Uh, I want to talk about Friday's news uh, and Joe Mixon's injury and all of that stuff. But let's start with the good. A- and the good is uh, another 11-point win. The good is A.J. Green scoring three touchdowns. The good is the offensive line didn't give up any sacks. And the Bengals are all alone in first place, 2-0 in the AFC North. Let's start with the offense. Why did they and, and how did they get off to such a great start on Thursday night against the Ravens? What was the key? It's hard to answer um, because it's kind of everything you wanted from this offense, right? Um, scheming plays and scheming guys open, so specifically A.J. Green. Look at his three touchdowns, yeah. all three from the slot. And I'm writing about that uh, right now. That would be my next thing for the athletic. But um, using him to – open the offense, and really it was, remember the last few years were like, we need someone else to help get A.J. Green open. We need another receiver to take pressure off Green. And it's kind of like, instead, they're using A.J. Green like a number one receiver again. Let's move him around, let's create the advantages with him, and let's let him win. Um, We're talking about two weeks in, he's got four touchdowns from the slot. He had two last year from the slot. So um, it's big. It's big to get him open and, and use him as your guy. And they always have fed him and led him with, with targets, uh, you know, more than anyone else on the team. But using him this way is how you maximize his ability and really give him the numbers that he always deserved, you know, at the end of the year. This is a season, I think, he, if he ends up with 12, 13, 14 touchdowns, I wouldn't be surprised if this pace continues. He's already got four. I know. Well, I just mean the pace of using him this way. Mm-hmm. And and if they continue it, it should be his best statistical year. So, uh, you know, I, that's good. That's a positive. Now, they couldn't run the ball as well this week. Uh, the Ravens have a good, strong front. Uh, they lost Billy Price. And, and, you know, those things started to affect them. It, you actually, a lot of people, I, I, I saw a gain of appreciation for Billy Price after uh, up and down week one. Week two, I thought the first couple plays he had were A-plus plays, and I'm like, okay, Billy Price is off to a hot start. He goes down, uh, and while Hopkins was fine in pass protection, you could see it in run blocking, he really couldn't move those nose tackles, but really snapping for the first time at center. So maybe we give him a little bit of pass as he may be the starter for the next couple of weeks. Uh, we don't know that yet, I, I guess, on Billy Price. But um, Andy Dalton was sharp, and he, he knew what he was doing. Um, he knew where to go with the ball. He barely held on to the ball any time at all on Thursday night, and that's the key to the offense. We know the offensive line is an issue, and on the right side is going to be an issue. But when guys are getting open, Tyler Boyd, um, all the tight ends, A.J. Green, obviously, it's this offense is going to work. And uh, that's why I'm not so concerned about Joe Mixon being out. While I do think in both games, first two games, there was a point where this offense needed a 
spark, and they leaned on Mixon to provide it to get them that comfortable win or, or get them back in the game um, or on the right track. They won't have that, but the way Giovanni Bernard played in, in Mixon's stead, I think in, in the last two weeks last year, should give you some hope that they will be fine on offense. Yeah, and that's why I'll ask you that. I want to dive into the film more, but Joe Mixon, what he brings, I thought even dinged up with that, that loose body in his knee, as uh, reports have indicated. By the way, everything went well. I, I heard, and I know Schefter said two weeks. From what I heard, it might be more than that, Joe. I wouldn't be surprised if it's three to four. Well, uh, normally it's two to four, I believe. It depends yeah. on swelling. You know, they check it normally right after and then, you know, constantly check it. But it, it, from what I understand, it's based on swelling. Some people in 10 days are cleared. Some people it's 28 days and, you know, by the time they're ready to go again. Yeah, and, and that so to me, if, it, if it's three to four, and who knows, you're right. But but I just, I think it'll be a little bit longer. That being said, I, I it's not a good thing by any stretch. I'm not saying that. But it is an interesting test now for Bill Lazor because I think he passed the first two tests, 34 points back-to-back weeks. The, the Bengals are fourth in total points scored, and I know the defense has a lot to do with that, with the turnovers they forced. But overall, I think Bill Lazor gets an A for his first two games. Now we get to see what he does when he doesn't have a full complement of weapons, when one of his guys does go down for a temporary amount of time. And, and I think it's a good way to get an answer on, on Lazor and his new playbook when he has to adjust it. And the other thing is, is him looking, just looking at this offense, even without Mixon, you're right, Geo, uh, Ross really hasn't been a factor yet. Eifert, I mean, there's still plenty of weapons on this team. I know they have two tough road games at Carolina, at Atlanta, but this offense to me should still remain explosive without Joe Mixon. Am I, am I crazy to think that in, in, in as far as Bill Lazor goes? How do you think he's going to adjust things, or how do you think he should adjust things to fit Giovanni Bernard? The good part about Mixon and Bernard being your one and two is that it's different from Hill and Bernard. Even when Hill in 2014 was running it and he was very good and the offense was moving because of him, they still had almost two different offenses for Hill and Bernard, right? You know, you could tell what they planned on doing or, or what the offense's mindset was based on who was out there in the backfield. With Geo and Mixon, they really don't have to change it up too much. Now, Mixon is a bigger body and can pound it up in the middle without really uh, taking a beating the way uh, Bernard can or will. But you can run the same plays, and especially in the passing game. A lot of them do, both of them do a lot of the same things. So it shouldn't change what they want to do on offense. And, and listen, they're a three-wide receiver, Andy Dalton shotgun, pass-first offense. That's who they are. So changing the running back for the running portion of, of the game isn't really a big deal. And, and I know Mixon had, you know, like I said, two key moments in both games on the ground were to really get this, this offense on track. I, I think you can get some of that. Geo is a fine runner. He just, you know, he's more of a, instead of consistently getting two or three yards on his bad play the way Mixon does, he may lose two or he may only get back to the line of scrimmage because he really doesn't have that power to run guys over and fall forward for that extra uh, couple yard and a half or two yards. Um, I want to see if Trey Carson gets opportunities finally in a regular season game. Mark Walton may be active now. Maybe he's going to play. And, and you know, you spent a fourth-round pick on this guy. You should be able to help him. This is the opportunity for him to step up. Um, so I, I, I'm interested to see how these backups look and what they can do, but I have no problem with Giovanni Bernard. And you're right, though. The, the point is John Ross, Gio Bernard, and Tyler Eifert really haven't made that impact yet in, in two games, and the offense has been good. And we know these, these three guys can have big games, big performances, or big plays. And if you tap into some of that, um, the offense should be more than fine. 
Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Let's talk about the offensive line. And you said you noticed a, a little bit of a difference with Billy Price out. How did uh, Trey Hopkins hold up, uh, firstly? And, and second of all, what d- do you think about Billy Price's game and in some change now as he not only a first-round pick but, but starting there? How has he fared uh, over the past week-plus in a game, of, a game and a half, essentially, of action? Yeah, the, the first quarter and a half of the Colts game, I felt he struggled, um, you know, for various reasons. He, he The first play or the second pass of the game was an interception. Uh, he gets tripped over by, by uh, Clint Bowling after he gets knocked back and, and, and into Bowling. Uh, so, he had that was his only issue in pass protection that game. Uh, some of those reach blocks, things we talked about before he was even drafted and right after drafted, we know he wasn't going to be that type of mover in his own blocking offense from center. And, he struggled with that, but I thought he had a really good second half of that game and flashed a lot of good power run blocking um, uh, plays from that center position in week one. Now, week two, he was only out there for, what, two drives, and he really, you could see that he carried that momentum from, from the second half of week two into week one. His first two plays were boom, boom, and really, you know, set up eat nice runs for mixing inside. Um it's going to be a difference with Trey Hopkins. Now, they may get a little more athletic, but as you saw, Hopkins had the same issues with that reach block on that shade, shaded nose tackle. Uh, he doesn't have that strength Billy Price has. The, the, the part of, uh, of needing the athleticism is finishing the play. So you can get out in front of that center, but you still got to either turn him back or push him through the hole, and uh, Hopkins was unable to finish that second part. So uh, first time ever at center, I still think Hopkins is a serviceable player. He was fine in pass protection. I didn't have an issue there. The right side is still, again, we know Alex Redman and Bobby Hart, you're going to have penalties, you're going to have pressures from that side. Um, Hart may even give up a couple of sacks, as we saw in week, in week one. But as long as the weapons are getting open, as long as Andy Dalton is, is clear and concise in his reads and knowing where he's going with the ball, the offensive line is a non-factor for most plays. I do think it affects their deep shots, though. Right now they're only taking those deep plays off of play action from that you know, 40 to 40 range in the middle of the field. And they didn't have a lot of those against Baltimore. They didn't have a lot of opportunities. Baltimore's got a good pass rush unit. It didn't look like they wanted to let that O-line block for more than two and a half seconds, even on long, long plays like a play action would provide. Um, they just weren't interested in it. I don't think it gets any better with the Panthers or the Falcons because those guys have some pass rushers also. So they may have to adjust in how they're going to get these deep plays and, and we'll include John Ross in that because we want to see it and, and it will help the offense with mixing out. Um, that's the adjustment I want to see going forward. Yeah, and that's interesting you mentioned that. I got asked that this a bunch on Twitter. Um, I got asked it even today on, on my show on ESPN 1530. Well, what's up with John Ross? And to me, he's a compliment in this offense. That's the first thing, first and foremost. There are guys in the pecking order just ahead of him. Uh, but the offensive line certainly a factor as well. When you watch Ross, when you watch his routes for, for the first two weeks, obviously the production might not be what some people expected. What have you seen from him? And I'm writing about him too. I said I was writing about A.J. Green. I'm writing about A.J. Green and Ross. How Laser is using A.J. Green and manufacturing touches for him and basically how he's not manufacturing touches for Ross. Ross has gotten a reverse, and, and you know he's had a couple plays, but there's no like screens or anything. There's no deep shots, things you, you would expect with Ross, right? Um, so I'm like, okay. So I watched him. I charted every route he ran to see how many he's winning, and honestly, he wasn't even looked at on, I'd say, 
80% of his routes. He's out there as a decoy on a lot of these, and that's okay. He ran more vertical routes than any other route uh, against the against the, the Ravens. So he's they're using him. They know how he's supposed to be used, and they're they're running that that corner out of there, and sometimes even that safety out of the play, and it's opening things up for Tyler Boyd. On Boyd's touchdown, Ross runs a post, and the corner is with him, and because he's so fast and gets upfield so fast, that safety had to stay with him too. Now, they're in the red zone. I think it was from the 25 or so, um, but moving that safety more inside and, and taking that corner with you, when Boyd catches it, he's out running that linebacker. He's got a clear path to the end zone. Some of that is because Ross demanded that attention from that safety. Uh, There's a couple other plays. You, you think of week one on Mixon's longest run. Well, I think it was a third and one. Mixon bounced it out to the left side. Ross is running out that corner downfield. Mixon's following him, and that corner's got his back to, to Mixon. Doesn't even realize it's a run play because Ross is down there. Ross is actually a, a decent blocker. They they moved, they used him a lot as a blocker, too. And I know, we're, and I'm going to get the comments. You're going to get the comments. He's number nine pick. What are we talking about? Clear out routes and blocking for this guy? You're right, though, James, that he is a guy that's struggling with his hands right now in confidence. You saw the one drop he had, right, on the on the, uh, the, on the package play. Slant. Yeah, exactly. It's he a was going to get tackled right there, though. People over, like, he was going to get tackled for, like, a three-yard gain. And here's the thing. It's a run play called, okay? So, and if he sees that he can win to the inside on the slant, if the, if the guy's off him and, not a, and it's not a, a, a press play, he can run and run that slant instead of blocking. Um, Dalton looks up and hits him with it real fast. So it is a very like mentally taxing play to know, am I getting the ball? Am I ready for the ball? Should I always be ready for the ball on, on a play like that? Because sometimes you're running that and you run it 10 times, you're not going to get the ball. And then here on the 11th time, they're throwing you a quick hot slant. Um, so, you see, he tried to catch it with his body, and that's where he's struggling. And uh, you see, right after that play, the reading, you know, body language and what he says, he hits himself in the chest like my, you know, my bad, and puts his hands up, um, like you know, I got to use my hands. I know it, and, and like and people are probably chirping to him. Um, you got to get your hands up. Use your hands. And he. You, when you watch him in college, there were times where he didn't catch with his hands all the time, but Marvin Jones didn't coming out of Cal. Chad Johnson struggled with that a lot. He preferred a body catch. A lot of guys preferred to catch with their body and with their arms, and that's okay, but on a slant, either you're going to catch it with your body and, and, and you're going to you know expect that, that contact or catch it with your hands and look to run. And right now, Mixon's struggling with that. But, um, you like mean you Ross? Said, he's, yes, that's what I meant, Ross. I'm sorry. And... Uh, and, and with Green ahead of him getting all the targets and manufactured touches, Boyd has being, is being the supplementary guy that is just picking up the open, open yardage that's, that's being vacated by A.J. Green and John Rosslight right now. And the tight ends are all involved, and the running backs are seeing a lot of targets. I just don't know why um, you know, it has to be Ross making a huge impact right now when the offense is playing as well as they are. Now, if they're struggling and they can't get anybody else open and we're seeing double, triple coverage on A.J. Green and he's not getting open, I'll be first in line to say, where's John Ross? But as of right now, I'm not saying that. We'll get back to my interview with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic, and we'll talk about defense because the defense, they forced six turnovers in the first two weeks after forcing only 14 last season. We'll discuss that next, but first... A word from my bookie. I don't know who's going to win, but if you think you know, you got to check out my bookie. Who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. That's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. They've been in business for years. I would only recommend a service that's treated me well. They've treated me great. They could treat you great as well. I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have all sorts of betting, including in game live betting, over unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. My bookie is slammed with new bettors 
and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use promo code LOCKED. On 25 to activate the order. Visit my bookie today. That's M Y B O O K I E. And don't forget to use the promo code locked on 25 when creating your account to claim up to a thousand dollars in free play. If you're willing to hold out until after 7 p.m., you get an extra $25 free play by using promo code locked on 25. So you could wait till after seven and get hooked up. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. Joe, the theme of the offseason when it came to the Bengals' defense was forcing turnovers. New defensive coordinator Terrell Austin preached it, preached it, preached it, preached it. Through two weeks, they forced six turnovers. Last season, they forced a total of 14. When you pop on the film, what, what's the biggest difference? Why are all of a sudden are, are these guys, are these players, forcing turnovers? Is it uh, youth? Is it talent? Is it scheme? What is it? All of that. Uh, yeah, it's always a combination, right? Um, <laughs> and look at safety position. Through two games now, they've created four turnovers from their safeties. Uh, Clayton Fedulum's forced fumble and return scoop and score. Uh, Jesse Bates' interception, which he almost had three interceptions, right, on, on Thursday night. Uh, Sean Williams, forced fumble at the end of the game and interception. But those plays happen because the pressure up front has been consistent and and it's funny because during both games, I see a lot of tweets, and you get a lot of tweets. Where's Carl Lawson? Where's Geno Atkins? Where's Carlos Dunlap? Right? You, don't you get those when guys aren't making sacks? But the other half of that is um, the the interceptions, the hands getting on the ball, especially at safety. And these guys are getting pressures right now. I think uh, Atkins has twelve pressures. Dunlap has 10, and Carl Lawson has 10. That's on pace to give them over 80 for the season, and only two guys, only two defensive players in the entire league last year had more than 80 pressures based on pro football Focus's numbers. That was Aaron Donald and Vaughn Miller. So the trio there for the Bengals is getting pressure consistently, forcing that quarterback to move, allowing the, the, the safeties to jump some routes, and, and, you know, they're getting their hands on the ball, and that's good. These, these are exactly what you want, but scheme-wise also. They're doing some things different on the back end. And, uh, you know, even for me, I'm watching it. And normally with, with the Bengals, you can say, okay, they're in a cover four shell. Okay, it's cover two. All right, they're in a uh, man free with a safety down the middle or it's cover three. You can normally tell it's just easy stuff. They're not trying to get beat deep with the safeties. And that was with Paul Gunther. Uh, now it's more of, okay, now William Jackson and Sean Williams are the two safeties. Not actually safeties, but they're the two deep guys, and they're having a robber coverage with Jesse Bates coming down and covering the guy in the slot, and it's, it's screwing defenses up. You saw it, I saw it a few times on tape. And uh, I'm, actually, the, the two big impact plays, um, the end of the game, the Sean Williams fumble, it's a sprint right option for, for Joe Flacco, right? So he, he's rolling to his right. He's got two options. They were both covered. But when you watch it on film, they did this earlier, about two drives earlier. Joe Flacco rolls to the right. He ends up just sliding and taking two yards or so. But on film, you see it. Jesse Bates and Hardy Nickerson roll hard to the right, and they jump both basically the, the two routes that are available. They weren't open, but Flacco wisely tucked it down and, and just got a couple yards. Um, and what they showed pre-snap, the Bengals, was Sean Williams in the box, Jesse Bates at free safety. So now, crunch time, the Ravens need a big play, right? 
Um, they come out and show the same formation again. The Bengals show the same defensive formation. So the the um, the Ravens are thinking, okay, we got them now. We know what they're doing. And what what it is on the backside receiver, the receiver that's all the way to the left now, and Flacco's going to roll to the right. The backside receiver knows this time. I need to get a little bit deeper and get a little bit more to the sideline. I'm going to get behind Jesse Bates that's jumping these two routes on the right and hit me with a deep shot. And because that's basically how the Ravens tried to move the ball all game, right? Throw the deep ball, hopefully you get a penalty. Yeah. And so, so they do it again. And now the Bengals have Sean Williams in the box, Jesse Bates at free safety. This time, Sean Williams blitzes. He doesn't back out and go into coverage. And the Ravens don't expect it. Nobody even picks up Sean Williams. So as Joe Flacco rolls, Jesse Bates jumps the route, Hardy Nickerson jumps the route, and he's looking to throw this deep ball. I want to say it was Brown on uh, William Jackson going deep. And Jackson had him covered. But, you know, he's still going to take that shot and hope for a pass interference. And as soon as Flacco goes to wind up, Sean Williams strips him. So just calling a different play out of the same formation against the same play that the Ravens already run made a big difference and sealed the game. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. And overall, I I think this is exactly what you want to see from the Bengals' defense through two games. They have bent, though. They've given up some yards for sure. Looking ahead to what we're going to see this week, Cam Newton on the road. Obviously, that's primarily, in my eyes, a rushing team. They like to operate through Christian McCaffrey in the short passing game as well. How do you think that the defense is going to defend the Cam Newton-led Carolina Panthers? The hardest part is Cam Newton running when he does. And, you know, it's really what you can't, you know, game plan for because what it's going to do is you're going to force your defense into more zone coverages so your your defensive backs and linebackers have their eyes on the quarterback. If you play man on third downs and you're running with with the receivers with your back turned, Cam's going to run and he's going to convert. Um, And he's historically one of the most dangerous quarterbacks running of all time. So, you have to change it up. You're going to have to play more zone. You're going to have to spy him probably. You're going to have to be a little bit more disciplined in your in your route pass or your your pass rush pass by the, by the defensive line. Uh, so it creates challenges. But at the same time, Cam's going to give you some opportunities also. He's going to throw some errant balls. He's going to he's going to try and force some passes. He's going to throw it deep. And I you know I always like the receivers in any situation when you're throwing it deep. Uh, so. They're gonna they're gonna press them in different ways than the first two teams definitely did, and it's more like facing Andrew Luck than it would be Joe Flacco because Cam will move in the pocket and keep his eyes downfield, and uh, that's important. And he's hard to sack. He's hard to bring down. Now three quarterbacks in a row, big guys, and we've seen you know Carlo Lawson, Carl Lawson, and and uh, Geno Atkins hanging on quarterbacks, and they're still able to complete passes so far through two weeks. Well, you're going to see that again going week three versus Cam. But I did watch the Panthers and Falcons game yesterday. Uh, just to get an idea of those two teams, obviously the next two opponents, they're beatable. They're exploitable. You can, the way the Bengals played the first two weeks, they can beat both of these teams. Uh, I think it's probably unfair to assume they do that unless we're looking at a really good team, which I'm not sure we are yet. But, um, you know, this two, two road games, I think they're both road games, right? And then they come back from yep. Miami. Yep. Uh, it is a good stretch. And it'll be interesting to see if they can keep this momentum up and do these things that make, Make the Bengals different. The Bill Lazor-led offense, they're running a lot of RPOs, package plays, doing stuff they didn't always do before, and it's helped Dalton a lot. He's productive right now. Defenses are guessing a lot of the times. The defenses are in no-win situations right now in a lot of plays against the Bengals. And if that can continue going against an opponent that, that you don't face often, um, 
there's no reason why they, they shouldn't win or be in both games uh, into the end. I'm going to talk with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic about Andy Dalton in just a second. But first, we all love a night out, whether it's seeing our favorite band in person or being there in the crowd to cheer on our favorite team, i.e. the Bengals. With Vivid Seeds, you can attend the concert, show, or Bengals game of your choice at a great price. Vivid Seats is the top source for tickets for all live events. If you want to go, you can sort by price or look for seats in the section and row of your choice to make things even better. Better. Vivid Seats is giving listeners an exclusive promo code for $20 off orders of $200 or more to save even more money. I used Vivid Seats when I went to Wrigley Field in Chicago at the end of August. You can too. Go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Use promo code Locked On for $20 off orders of $200 or more. Every purchase is backed by a 100% Buyer guarantee from the biggest concerts to games to the hottest theater and more. Vivid Seats has it all. Download the app, enter promo code locked on for $20 off, orders of $200 or more. Make a memory that lasts a lifetime and let Vivid Seats help you get to your favorite live event. Andy Dalton has played now 16 games with Bill Lazers as offensive coordinator. That that sample size, obviously one full-length regular season. He's passed for 3,434 yards. 31 touchdowns, nine interceptions. Those are pretty good numbers. Now, obviously, the yards certainly not where you want them to be. A lot of that had to do completion with, percentage a little lower too. Yeah, with last year's offense, I think this offense certainly through two weeks has passed the test. When you look ahead, though, I'm just thinking Carolina's front seven really good, mm-hmm. uh, and then after that, Atlanta in Atlanta. That's one of the toughest places to play. Matt Ryan's different there. Julio Jones is different there. They just seem like a faster team there. I know they've Vic had some, Beasley rushing on it, turf is, is much harder. Exactly, and they've had issues, uh, some injury issues in Atlanta, especially the back end of that defense. But overall, I look at these matchups and I'm thinking they're going to have to score. Po- I, I think that that's the key. I mean, they're going to have to offensively probably score 30 in both games if they want to win one of them. Yeah, I can see that, and they have for two weeks in a row. Yeah, right? yeah absolutely, and absolutely. It's, it's just going to have to continue. Time First time they've scored back-to-back 30 points since 2015. You know, there's a lot of numbers for the first two weeks so far and a lot of stats where it's the first time since 2015, right? And, uh, you know, it's just funny because you look at it and you go, yeah, maybe the offense could be like that. You know, maybe maybe they can be that effective and, and, and that efficient. And, uh, and if that's the case, yeah, they can score 30. And they can score 30 on these two defenses that are good and can pressure you. But I think you can attack the secondary, especially the safety for the, for the Falcons, the corners for the um, Panthers, the linebackers maybe now for the Falcons. They lost Deion Jones for the year. So um, there is some ex- exploitations out there on, on both defenses. And, you know, if they can hit them, sure, let's do it. I, I'm ready. To, it's a good test. I, the Dolphins are 2-0 and also, not to look too far ahead. But this, this three games and then the, the Steelers will really let us know how good this team is. So right now they got like a 54% chance based on history to make the playoffs starting off 2-0. and um, But how good? You know, are, can they be 3-1? and Can they be 4-1? and Can they come into to Pittsburgh? You know, can they come out of that 4-2? and where, where are you after that six weeks is going to tell us where our expectations should be? Yeah, I, I think – Four, if you can get to four and two and navigate your way without Joe Mixon to three and one after the next two weeks, and then you split with Miami and Pittsburgh at home, preferably beating Pittsburgh, obviously Miami looks more winnable. I think you come out feeling pretty good about where you are six weeks into the year. Definitely. And 
and honestly, four and two. Just looking at this team, and looking at schedule, I don't see why they couldn't be five and one. The Steelers look like a mess right now, and I don't believe the Dolphins, as a two and zero team, are uh, are you know look at the two and zero slate and say, okay, most of these teams make the playoffs. You can eliminate a couple, right? I, I I feel like the Bucks can't keep this up, right? That this offense. I feel like the Dolphins have squeaked two wins by, and I don't really feel excited when I when I watch them. I don't feel feel like they can consistently put up points, but the defense looks solid. They got a good pass rushing unit. They got some good linebackers and safety. So, um, but I still feel like the Bengals could beat the Dolphins. So four and two should be should be the. Uh, like a fair outlook. I think if they come away three and three, we've got problems because that means you went one and one and three down the stretch. Agreed. He's Joe Goodberry. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Check out his work uh, on the athletic. By the way, if you want to subscribe to the athletic, you can real easy 40% off right now. The athletic.com slash locked on Bengals. I know you mentioned some of your pieces coming up. Just let our, our listeners know what you got coming up, Joe, and uh, the detail they're going to get with your work at the athletic. Yeah, right now we're looking into um, A.J. Green and his effectiveness and what Bill Lazor is doing, why it should continue, why we should expect it to continue, um, and where John Ross is. That's what I'm writing right now. Hopefully that's probably Wednesday. I don't get to pick when it gets posted, but you should expect it around then. Um, and because we've got a long 10 days here, I might even do a preview piece also for the next game, maybe in the next couple of games, especially without uh, Joe Mixon and, and how the Bengals should, should go forward. But you should expect videos, clips, diagrams of plays, um, maybe things you didn't notice when you watched live that, that I caught while watching the reviews, um, whether that's in terms of player evaluation, X's and O's, or just some fun, goofy stuff that, that happened on the field. Good stuff there. He's Joe Goodberry. We're back at it tomorrow. A quick reminder, you can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcasts. Until tomorrow, I'm James Rapine. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. <laughs>